Hi, Steve Arterburn here, and welcome to the New Life Live podcast. We hope to provide help and hope in your life through God's Word, counselors, and psychologists as we answer questions from listeners who call with the challenges of life. Let's go to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and happy Valentine's Day. Uh, If you haven't heard that yet, it is the day of love, whether it's Mm. romantic or otherwise. We just want to celebrate love today, and the world needs a lot more of it, and we're thankful for Jesus' love for us and in our lives, and I just want to celebrate that today. Alongside of me today is Dr. Sherry Keffer and Chris Williams, and we're going to take your calls for the next couple of hours, 1-800-229-3000, and we want to hear from you. Uh, you know, if you're listening in other ways, you know, you can, if you're listening on the podcast, you can call us Monday through Wednesday, 1 to 3 Eastern Time, and uh, we'll be able to take your calls then. But I know that there are some of you who are listening live right now, and we want to hear from you. Right now, we want to hear from Chris. Chris, what wisdom do you have for us today? Well, one of the things I want to talk about today, it being Valentine's Day, and I've mentioned this before on other shows, but one of the things I am really interested in and more than interested in is passionate about is authentic expressions and movements of love like what does it really mean beyond the romantic feelings that we may get every now and then um that come and go but but in the bible it really talks about a constancy of love and one of the things i don't think that we respect enough when we dive into what it really means is how much work it takes love is work straight up and, and, and I can show this, or, or I think we're all shown this, in the great love chapter. Love, the two first descriptors for love is patience and kindness. When we take a deeper look into that, one of the best ways I could describe love as described there as patience, some call it long-suffering, is empathy over time. It means that I'm willing to see you and hear you and understand you and know you over a long period of time. And then the second one is kindness, which is kind of strange because in, in the Bible, that word is actually oftentimes used in political settings as, a, as dignitaries carrying a gift to another royalty. But really what we can break that down to is to care for something of value. So... To, to love another person means that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to see you. I'm going to understand you. I'm going to know you. And, and, it, and, and we're going to go through a lot of rough, tough things to get there. And it's going to take time. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm going to persevere as the last descriptor of love is in that, in that setting. But I'm also going to seek to care for you because I believe you're of great value. Now, I just want us all to picture what our life would be like if we had someone or someone's people in our life that know us, even even in our darkness and in, in, our, in our weird stuff and in, in quote-unquote sin, and, and to understand us but continue to care for us as if we had great value. What difference would that make in our life? And I believe that that's the type of love, and really that's the type of love that St. Valentine himself expressed, and that's the type of love that we actually need and need to be called to in this Valentine's Day. I love that, Chris, and it's a great day to celebrate that love, and it isn't easy. It doesn't come naturally for some people, and the wounds and the pain that we have to overcome uh, in our histories mm-hmm. can also impact that. 
I think one of the things that we can be mindful of is recognizing those people in our lives that love us mm, and to yeah. to be able to receive the love that is being offered to us because a lot of times that is tough to do. Well, I appreciate your wisdom always on Valentine's Day or any other day. I hope that something that um, you're struggling with, if you want to call us, we are here for you. 1-800-229-3000. Chris and Sherry will share their wisdom with you as well. We'll be right back after this break. To find out more information about New Life or to order any of the resources mentioned on today's program, call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Now back to New Life Live. I'm Stephen Arterburn with a New Life Moment. Did you know that scientists now believe a series of slits, not a giant gash, sank the Titanic? The supposedly invincible cruise liner went down in 1912 on its first voyage. Until recently, the most widely held theory was the ship hit an iceberg, opening a huge gash in the vessel's side. But an international team of divers and scientists has used sound waves to probe the wreckage buried in the mud under two and a half miles of water. The damage was surprisingly small. Instead of a huge gash, they found only six relatively narrow slits across the watertight holes. Small slits can sink great ships. Perhaps that's a lesson for us to be thinking about relative to the so-called small things in our lives. For some practical advice on how to avoid small slits, visit newlife.com. I'm Stephen Arterburn, and thanks for listening to this New Life Moment. Well, I always appreciate hearing Steve's wisdom as well. He's on sabbatical right now, but we love to hear those insights. And that's always such a fascinating fact that it wasn't this big thing that sank the Titanic, but these little things. And I, it, doesn't that relate to our lives and just uh, in our relationships? It's Sometimes it is a big thing, but many, many times it's just these little things. What do you guys think about that concept? Well, I, th- I think it's true. And it's the things, it's the little things that we ignore, the things that we minimize, the things that we justify, that we say to ourselves are no big deal, that only give license to the slits, the the cracks that ultimately mm-hmm. will take on water and, and will sink us. It's the small things that build up over time. Um, you know, I always hear, you know, just real quickly, you know, it's like this particular Christian leader had a moral failing. And I'm like, I, I kind of don't like that term. And here's why. Mm-hmm. We all woke up this morning moral failures. Let's just get honest. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's not what happened. A moral failing didn't happen. It was moral slits that happened over a long period of time that eventually just got discovered. That's the only thing right. that happened. Right. It goes along with that concept that Steve talks about with relapse prevention. Mm-hmm. It's not when you are completely into the addiction again. It's the first day you say, I don't need to go to group or I don't need mm, to talk to my right. sponsor. It's those little steps. Sherry, where, what's on your mind about this topic or any others for that matter? Well, yeah, I just was reflecting on what Steve said and then what Chris said. And here we are, Valentine's Day. And think about how many couples, their relationship is undermined by those tiny slits, which aren't really tiny. You think mm-hmm. about it. I mean, I know the couples that I work with, um, there's pornography, mm-hmm. right? 
that's not a tiny thing. And yet there's a lot of men that believe that pornography is harmless. Mm-hmm. Like they they found it when they were six years old. They've been using it since that time. Didn't really feel it was necessary to let their significant other know that they're looking at it regularly. Mm-hmm. But when she discovers that, it mm-hmm. assaults the very essence of who she is mm-hmm. as a woman. And it assaults her sensuality. It creates comparison because all of a sudden she's thinking, what? You have me. You have all yeah. of me. Why Why do you need that? And I, I feel less than. So even though pornography was something they found when they were little, mm-hmm. it's not a little thing. And yeah. it begins, it, it actually erodes the foundation of a relationship. And that's why we're here. We really want to talk about and make safe space for um, y'all to to bring us your thoughts and struggles and hurts around issues um, so that we can help you figure out the yeah. next step. You know what I was thinking too is that that idea, Sherry, how many couples when they come into uh, treatment therapy and they minimize mm-hmm. whatever the thing is. So when you think about those tiny cracks, what they think is tiny are huge um, breaches in the security and the safety of their union. And uh, it's it's interesting because we carry around that that concept of it's not a big deal. I'll never do it again. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to hurt them that much. But we know otherwise, don't we? Yeah, we do. I I have someone that just reached out to me with a referral. It's a couple. And it's a brain treatment program that they're in right now. And they were telling me that the wife's brain can't rest. It's like when she closes her eyes, the machines they have are hooked on. She's not at peace. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's in a hypervigilant state. And I was asking, well, it, do you know anything about the relationship history? And they were like, no, we're here working on their brains. But her brain is stuck. Yeah. And I said, well, guess what? You know, would the couple be open to coming in? But my my idea already is I've got to figure out why her brain is stuck. Like mm-hmm. Vanderkock's book, The Body Keeps a Score, our bodies hold on yeah. to stuff. And her body is like a fingerprint. It's bearing witness that something has happened, whether mm-hmm. it's in the marriage or whether it's in her childhood or anywhere in between. Her brain is still in a state of fear. That's not a little thing that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. she can't move through to a place of rest. Um, the coupleship can't be in a place of rest, but we've got to figure out. It's like, you know, mining for gold. I got to figure out what's going on yeah. that is creating that stuck place. Mm-hmm. Um in her brain and in the coupleship. Yeah, and I think it, in that the, those stuck places, one of the hardest things to do is to uncover. You know, it's going back to the Titanic. Here's a couple things because I, I again encountering this in my office this week is that a person's in an abusive situation and they believe and they they stay in it because they have two primary beliefs. One, there's nothing else better for them or there's no other options. And so if I'm on the Titanic, there's not another boat that can get me across. The other thing is that it comes with a lot of perks. So even though I'm on this really nice place, you know, and I can't make it on my own, you know, or there's no other options, well, 
I'm sure the people on the Titanic wish they were on a different boat and can find yeah. a different and, and could have discovered a different way. And if you're Great on the analogy. and if you're on the boat, to your point, Sherry, is that if there is a way to see what was underneath the surface, how much mm-hmm. could have been avoided? And that's the that that's the courageous, sometimes scary, well, oftentimes scary, but crucial work is to figure out what's underneath the surface, because there's icebergs in all of our lives. There are dangerous obstacles in all of our lives that are beneath the surface, and we, unlike the Titanic, have a way to shine a light down there to discover what that is, and whatever is ruptured, that we can repair it. Yes. Well, you know, we've been doing that. Like you said, Sherry, we want to help people. And we've been doing it for 35 years. I've got a call that I want you to listen to that uh, John and Steve did who knows when, but it's current today. Terry, go ahead. Let's go over here to Sean, New York, XM Satellite Radio. Hey, Sean, how are you? Good, good. What's going on? Uh, I got two questions, and you can pick whichever one you want to focus on more because it's all it's all a... um. It's twofold type thing. It all includes uh, lust, anger, control, things like that. So my first question is, how do I uh, make myself not not to make my wife like me? And the second one is, how do I only desire to look at my wife to look and to think just about my wife sexually? That's the two questions. So I got whichever a, one you want to pick. I got an answer. Okay. First, tell me when you first noticed that you were a very angry man. Uh, probably since I was uh, probably eight years old. Eight years old. What, what do you think was the source of that at eight, why you were so angry and bitter? Well, I think, um, I think that stemmed from... Uh, my mother and father's separation in 78. They separated in 78. Right. Now, were you angry at them or you were you angry at God? No, because uh, at that time, I knew nothing about God. Mm-hmm. So even till now, I'm not angry at God because of that. Okay. That choice. They just chose not to live together. So what are you so angry about now? Um, I think... Mostly it comes from a control issue. Maybe maybe it stems from I could not control what happened with my parents. I'm just thinking, you know, it mm-hmm. could have been that. But I've always had an anger problem and a control issue, even at the age of 18. I'm now 30, 38. So okay. at the age of 18, I became very manipulative, abusive physically, so you mentally. Could, you could say another another thing is that you're angry because it's kind of easy to be angry. There's some power in being angry. You know, you, you mess people up, you mess them around, you control. But probably if we got a little deeper than the anger, we'd find out that you ever since you were eight years old, you've been scared to death. There's, right. a little, there's so much fear that you feel like you, you need to control, hang on, don't let people abandon you. So... If you want to know how do you deal with all that lust stuff where you feel entitled to stuff that you don't really have a right to have, you deal with the anger. I think the anger will take you to the fear. And okay. and you work on that. 
almost every sex addict that I've ever known was full of rage and a desire to control. Some were very passive, but they had this this desire, longing, obsession with control. So you wouldn't right. say they were controlling people, but down inside, that was what they were really lusting after was control. So uh, I think, you know, you can look at all sorts of techniques and stuff to deal with sexual addiction. But if you're not dealing with the source of the rage, you're probably wasting your time. John, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I really uh, agree with that, Sean. And I'm going to pack your two questions into one. Okay. You want to make your wife... Now, let me show you I understand it. I want to make my wife like me or similar to me, or I want her to make her be attracted to me. When you said like, I didn't know what like meant. Uh, yeah, sort of like be my puppet, like be who I am instead of being who God created her to be at this all moment. All right, all right. Then let, if you answer one, you answer two. The reason I'm saying that is that once you can, like Steve talked about there, the control issue, once you deal with your fear of her being different, which generally has to do with um, some sense that I won't be loved if I can't make someone see these things the same way I do, and then, and then the, if I don't have any control, they'll leave me. And love doesn't work if there's control. Right. So you're, you're going to have to deal with most angry guys. The only solution for them is the grief process to become very, very familiar with, emotionally involved in, jump into deeply the grief process. It's the only thing that really solves anger that I see. So as you let go of that and feel sad and realize I can't make Mary love me and I'll just have to let her have her own feelings, then that solves the second problem. The reason I'm saying that is because a wife that has a husband that repents of control then begins to open up and she begins to feel more vulnerable. She begins to feel more more uh, accessible and she feels more love. And so when she feels more love towards you, you don't want anybody else. So you right. get what you want in number two if you face the fear. I'm sorry. You get what you want in number two if you face all of that sadness in number one. You win. Right. And, and I do understand that all the other outward things, the, the lust, the all, and all that stuff is the, the leafy issues in my life. You got and it. I know the root problem is my anger, and, and I know I have to deal with that. And, and another thing is that I feel that um, I have to have control. And, it, and, and another thing is, like, if somebody cuts me off or something like that, I feel that person can't get away with it, so I act out in anger. Okay. And another thing Sean, is— Sean, the, um, problem's not, the problem's not anger. The problem is sadness. Let it go. Learn how to grieve. I tell you, all of us men, we're dealing with grief, anger, fear. Sad thing is if we don't look at that, if we don't say, well, look, I'm not just a guy out here doing this. Stuff. I've got stuff under here that's motivating me or it's distracting me. I need to deal with it. And that, then you find yourself comfortable with yourself. Yeah, Steve, that is such a good point, especially for guys. It's not that they have emotions, it's that they have awareness of emotions because everybody's got them. And mm -hmm. if you're aware of them, you can control them or you can resolve them, you can pay attention to them. If right. you're not aware of them, you will do crazy, nutty things. Yeah, and pay for it. And pay for it. Yeah. All right, 1-800-229-3000 is the number to get on the program, but the bigger number is 1-800-NEW-LIFE. We want to We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question or a comment, call toll-free 1-800-229-3000. Now back to New Life Live. 
Welcome back. We would love to hear from you. 1-800-229-3000. I want to just encourage you, um, if you are a woman who has been betrayed by a man and have not really begun your healing, we're going to have our Restore Workshop uh, February 23rd through 25th in Orange County, and we are extending the early bird discount. Um, you know, Valentine's Day can be a painful day when um, your marriage or relationship has suffered uh, under this stress. I mean, it's just, it's a wound, it's painful, and we want to help you move forward in your healing process. We want to um, help you. It's like, it's funny because Sherry, you said that earlier in the in the show today, that it's it's really um, our heart and our, our goal is to help people move forward in their life because you have this one precious life. And we want you to get to the bottom of where the pain is and to recognize you can have really good relationships in all the ways. Isn't it interesting that that call, which who knows when that call was made with John and Steve, um, was talking exactly about what we were talking about, those things that are underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Jerry, I know that a lot of times we talk about those little wounds those that grow into infections, that grow into amputations of all kinds of things. I mean, I know that's pretty gross on a Valentine's Day, but what would you say to somebody who's thinking it's not a big deal? I can just muster through whatever the pain is that I'm not dealing with. I think that I, this is what I would want to say. Eventually, the pain will welcome you back <laughs> into needing <laughs> to do good. the work. Yep. I mean, <laughs> that's, that, that's what I see. I've had a number of folks reach out to me recently that I saw maybe two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes people come in and they're just not ready. They're scared of feeling the feelings mm-hmm. that are attached to whatever loss. Like, you know, John and uh, Steve were talking to that gentleman about his anger, but underneath it was actually sadness. Mm-hmm. And if we yeah. only focus on the anger, but not the sadness. But, you know, Chris, isn't it hard to get people into the sad. It, it, I, I think Ooh. as a culture, it's hard yeah, to get it, people into the sad. And I know I do EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, because it's a sneaky little trauma tool that comes in through the side door and it helps get people in touch with their vulnerable feelings. And more often than not, I have, when I'm doing the EMDR, I have people have tears coming down their, mm-hmm. their cheeks. Ooh. And I say, and they go to reach for a Kleenex. And I said, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why? I go, those are very expensive. That's the cost of your session today. <laughs> I don't want you to blot your tears because you're coming here to let your feelings out. Yeah. And um, and we don't want to stop that. When it comes out, it's what's needed to be processed because there's hurt behind that. Well, Sherry, you have a term I really like using. And that is our behavior is always telling on us, right? It's true. It's, it's and true. And so this guy's use of pornography and his struggle with lust is his attempt at care. When his parents got divorced, he didn't get care. And then it's also his attempt at control, which is a false movement because he needed comfort. He needed care and comfort, and he went to anger and control. Now, here's this thing. This is a little bit of a soapbox for me because this really pushes on 
the this I believe really really harmful and damaging belief is that we have to be strong and we can't show sadness and we can't show these emotions and the truth of the matter is is it makes us weaker not stronger strength is to enter into the real experience and to then move through it in a way that God has designed for us to be connected to each other in a, such a way that it actually, grief does two really important things. One, it builds resiliency. It doesn't break it down. The other aspect of that is that it clarifies. Grief helps, helps us parse out wheat from chaff. What's important in life and what's not important in life? I, I, I don't want that for us because it's a painful experience, but there is the gifts of grief in the midst of that. And there's one other thing I'd like to say is that um, Isaiah points to the Messiah, and he says that this will be a person, a man who's acquainted with many sorrows. And so for us Christian men out there, do I want, I want to just challenge us. It's like, are we, are we above our Savior that we don't have to, again, learn how to encounter the sorrows in our life, and that maybe our sorrows actually lead us to the man who is acquainted with many sorrows that shows us how to do that. Because, circling back to the original struggle, when our grief isn't addressed in a process to work through it and in it, it will show up in medicative devices— that could be pornography, that could be alcohol. And let me tell you, that what I'm seeing is that can happen as work. I work myself to the bone to distract me from myself. I want to share a thought, you know, in light of what you just said, Chris, and the conversation. When John asked the man, help me understand what you mean by you want your wife to be like you. Yeah. Like Ooh. a puppet and, you know, kind of... and. He said, yeah, I, I want her, basically, I want to be able to control her. I want mm. her to do what I want her to do. Well, what is that? That's objectification. And 100%. I was sitting there thinking the porn was causing him to objectify women and his wife. But in essence, I was going, okay, so he becomes his own God. Yeah. In a very sad way, right? Porn can get you to a point where you want your wife mm-hmm. to do what you want you to do, her her to do, and then you become God and you don't get to that Jesus grief. Yes, mm. absolutely. That's so powerful. We'll be back. 1-800-229-3000. Today's podcast is brought to you by Club New Life supporters who give a monthly donation because they want to continue to offer help and hope in these very, very difficult places. To find out more about Club New Life, you can go to our website, newlife.com, or call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Now, if you're new to us, we drop an episode every weekday. We would love it if you would rate or write a review, which helps more people discover help and hope and helps us share wisdom with as many people as possible. Now, let's listen to our counselors as they help people walk through life's hardest places. glad you joined us for New Life Live. To be a part of the program, call 1-800-229-3000. Now back to New Life Live. Welcome back. We are going to go uh, to a call with Henry and Steve, and her name is Karen. 
Hey, let's jump over here and talk to Karen. Karen, we're caring about Karen today, and from Washington, D.C., listens to WAVA. Hi there. Hi. How are you? How are you guys? I'm doing good. I'm struggling with what forgiveness looks like. And the situation is that my parents um, divorced. They separated last year. They divorced. The finalization of the divorce was in May. Two days later, my father married a woman that is about my age. So she's about 25 years younger than him. And you are how old and he's how old? Um, my dad will be 70, 70 next year, so 69 this year, and I am 43. Okay, and, and why did they divorce? Um, throughout my parents' marriage, they, my dad, we feel like at this point, is um, narcissistic. He definitely has some kind of a mental illness, and through different counselors, um, not not diagnosing him per se, but laying out this is what a bipolar person looks like, this is what a narcissistic person looks like. He there, there, those, stop, stop for a second. There are okay. so many um, married bipolar people and narcissistic and borderline married people, so that's not why somebody divorces. So wh- why did they get divorced? Okay, well, the... Finally, my dad, for the third time, I think, in my parents' marriage, threw down the gauntlet again and said, you either basically shape up to my mom or get papers filed, we're getting a divorce. And shape up doing what? What was she Um, on? Being the submissive, um, dominated wife. Um, They've just had problems throughout their marriage. And... Um, they both profess to be a Christian. I believe my mother is. I don't know about my father. Um, it's been an abusive relationship throughout. Abusive to her as well as us kids. He's, um, he's and so hit her? Finally, he just said, you know, threw down the gauntlet again, like I said, and she <clears> said, <throat> then get papers drawn up. I, when pretty much when you say abusive, end. he's hit her? Uh, yes, he has done that in the past. Multiple affairs. Wow. Um, that he has blamed on her because she was not okay. Now, now, now him. I'm getting an answer to my question. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> you know, when somebody um, says, so, you know, it, it, it's 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 sort of a problem. These phrases get get tossed right? around, and yeah. and I, you know what? I just got to say this. Excuse me for for going off on a little pet peeve here, but I was just speaking back. Um, where was I? Uh, St. Louis, and uh, and somebody walked up to me. And told me, um, thank you guys for giving your little speech about narcissists. And I said, which speech was that? And she said, well, my husband, you know, and I had a lot of problems. And I went to counselors, and the counselor said, well, he's just a narcissistic personality. It's never going to change. You know, you need to give up hope. You can't change them, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there's no hope for this. And she said, you guys started saying, you know, to me, because I called in, that that's not true. And and that there's a lot of people, you know, sort of labeling people out there and even if the label's correct it's not true that they can't change right. and it's not true that God can't turn things around but a lot of times counselors tell people this stuff about borderlines or narcissists first of all they've never even seen the person and secondly they label them as unchangeable and people leave their spouses because it's some label somebody put on somebody right. and it's just wrong 
And the so, hopelessness that they yeah. put in there. And, right. and by the way, her marriage turned around because, you know, she got on the path and did the right things. And so, well, what is your question about all this, Karen? <laughs> um, can I just say one thing about the narcissism label? Yeah. We, we did not, he was not, we were not told that that fit him until after the separation. And we, my mom sought counseling. Mm-hmm. I was in the ER with anxiety attacks. Because of him, I sought counseling, and the counselor laid out what those personality types are. They didn't, he didn't say, this is your dad, but that helped us understand it wasn't us. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah that, no, that no. Us. All, of, all of that, that is really said, helpful. Yes, you're narcissistic, I'm out of here. That's no, not it, what happened. Right, and, and I, I understand that after you explained it, but I'm telling you this happens enough where I have to I ask the it. question because people just, you know, they're looking for any ticket out. Exactly. And, and these counselors who never meet the other person right. throw these diagnoses out there, and it's just, you know, a lot of times the relationship can be, fixed (laughs) and people have a future and you know anyway obviously okay different in your situation so forgive my rampage and no no that's okay i can understand my question is what's um, the question what does forgiveness look like from that from the separation from the time they're separated my father has been awful to us kids and we live if I say this, everyone's going to know who I am, but we live next door to him, <laughs> and he is just awful. Wait a minute. He has you live next away. door. Did she leave? Yes. And he stayed in the house, but you and you're, you're married, right? Yes. And you Our and family y- lives next door. Y'all live next door to where your parents used to live, and now it's just him. And his new wife and family. Wow. Yeah, and my brother lives have you on the consi- other side. Have you considered a reality television show? Uh, we could be on Jerry Springer because yeah. it's just it's gone on crazy. I okay. mean, and on we, the we, on the other side is your brother. Is that what you said? Yes, <laughs> we are in a surreal world. I mean, you're the we, I can't even tell you. So back to my question. I mean, things have happened. We no longer speak with them. We said until you get counseling, we will no longer speak with you. He threatened to kill my mom. Um, he has threatened us to not talk to his new wife. Mm. Um, and so we said, until you get counseling, we will no longer. We put up the boundary because it was affecting our family, my health, everything. Yeah. So things have gone on in this last year and a half that have just been so hurtful to all of us kids. I mean, just emotional stabbing, we call it. And I, I feel like I get to a point, okay, I forgive him. God, he's your your deal. I cannot deal with him. He's your deal. I, I'm, I've forgiven him. I'm moving on. And then, wham, here comes another round of stabbing in the back. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, I keep trying to say, okay, God, what I, I want to forgive him in, in the way you have taught us to forgive, that you call us to forgive. But what does that look like? And I struggle with that. Okay. What, what do you struggle with? I don't. I don't know. I feel like I do. But then, like I said, something will happen, and I'm back to square one with how could he do that? Well, 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 what does feel like you do mean? Let's really unpack this, because if you think forgiveness is that you have no feelings about anything or, you know, that you, you wouldn't hurt when somebody does something or something like that, that's not what forgiveness is. So is that what you think it is? Um. I don't know. I guess what I feel is I feel ill will towards him. I start feeling like I want to do things to get revenge. You know, I right. don't do things, but I have for, those For the old stuff or the stuff that's happening now? I'm sorry? For the old stuff or the stuff that's happening now? 
Um, for the stuff that's happening now, I wrestled with the stuff from my childhood and turned that all over to God years ago. Okay. It's like new let, stuff. Let, let me give you a couple of thoughts here, and then you respond to us, okay? Okay. Forgiveness is really about something that's already happened, right? If somebody does something, you forgive them, right? You know, and the Bible right. says if they repent, you, you know, you forgive them, right? Okay, so that's something that's already happened. Now, all the things that's happened up until this phone call where we're talking to you is in the past, and you can forgive him, right? Yes. Okay, but if you step out of this phone call and there's new stuff that you're vulnerable to and subjected to, you're getting stabbed all over again. Yes. And so I don't think this is so much a question of forgiveness as much as a question of apparently if this is continuing to happen, then your your protective boundaries are not secure enough because you're still exposed and vulnerable to this. I can understand that, but that is a difficult living next door. Well, and so, um, uh, and he, he is moving. Oh, okay. Um, He's moving. Within so, next couple of months, hopefully. All right. Well, you're not going to have to move then. No, and we did think, talk about that. And at one point in hope. one of our rampages, I said, are you moving? And he's like, what? I said, if you're not moving, we're moving. <laughs> and uh, we found out that he was going to be moving. Um, and, if, and he's building a house. So as soon as that's done, we're hoping that he and his new family will get out. But he has I mean, disowned us. He has told us he he has a new family. He doesn't need any of us. You know, it's just it's just been awful. I yeah. mean, it's just... It's well, surreal. He, here's kind of the formula. You forgive the past. You separate yourself to the extent, you know, if he's not working on this, then you separate yourself to the extent that you're not hurt anymore. And then you go somewhere and process this wish that you have where you're surprised anew each time. You know, mm-hmm. when anybody that has that, how could he kind of response? Yeah. What that says is that you have not come to grips with the fact of who he is. Anytime somebody's done something continually and then you experience anew each time, then there's some part of you that's kind of a little bit in denial because you should be expecting that from him. Right. Good point. Yeah. All right. I'm glad that you called. Hope that's helpful to you. Let me send you a Dave Stoops book, Forgiving the Unforgivable. I think that could really help you. All right. Good one. It's always so amazing to hear from them. We're going to go to Paula after this break. To find out more information about New Life or to order any of the resources mentioned on today's program, call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Now back to New Life Live. Welcome back. You know, we're all about connection here. And if you're dealing with feeling isolated or alone, we have life recovery groups that are a great way to find safe uh, process groups. And we meet uh, in person, online, all across the country. And if you are interested in being part of the life recovery group, just give us a call and we'll help connect you. Right now, we're going to connect with Paula, who's calling us from Chicago and listens on the app. You can listen on the app, download it wherever you get your apps on your phone. Hi, Paula. Thanks for calling. How can we help you today? Hello. Um, I have a question. I um, have been with my boyfriend for almost a year and a half. We had like some trouble in the beginning, but we have worked out our communication styles, but we're talking about marriage and stuff, but I just have this burst of relationship anxiety that comes up from time to time, and like I'm going through uh, some of it right now, and then I just have 
all these emotions and really feel like breaking up with him, even though our relationship has been beautiful and God has been in the center of it. And I'm just wondering if all of that is normal or if there's something out that I haven't, like, looked at in the relationship that may be causing that. Is, I have a quick a good question. Time to ask those questions. <laughs> is there a baby in the background? There is. Do you, do, you, do you guys have a baby together? No, no, we don't. Okay, no, I just was wondering if that was another piece of the story. So. Oh no, no. So you know what Chris said earlier? Something I always say is all behavior is purposeful. It makes me a little curious as to what happened early on. Because you guys were struggling in the beginning. Um, and then at the same time, you said, but our relationship has been really beautiful and God's in the center. So those things aren't matching. And I'm wondering if your anxiety has to do with what happened in the beginning of your relationship. What is that? Can you take us into the, what's the worst thing that's happened in your relationship? Um, I think it mostly it was just, like he it was he being sensitive like emotionally sensitive to how I would come to communicate in the past and me feeling like I had to walk in eggshells and I was always like okay I don't know if I can be in a relationship where I feel like I can express myself or if everything that I say will be taken out of context or hurtful you know even though I've I've shown time and time again that um, I have my, you know, I love you and I have your best interest at heart. Um, and like, and I'm being single for my, my whole life. And this is the first time I'm in a relationship that I'm considering marriage. And I'm like, okay, is this normal? And we worked through that. And like, now we still have, like, we, we're in a place where we can talk openly about things. But from time to time, it's still something that, like, causes some type of a... a so, so, so Paula, let me ask a, a strange question. Where in your body do you feel the anxiety? Do you carry it? Um... Like on my chest, close to my throat. Okay, stay there, stay there. If that part in your body had a voice and could talk, what would it be saying? Hmm. Is this going to work? Is this going to work? Okay. If it was saying anything about you, like maybe an I am statement, I am what? Sometimes when it takes a while to think of things, it's because we haven't accessed yeah. our voice. Mm. And that's that's where the hesitation is coming mm-hmm. from. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, Paula... For some context, for some context like, um, I'm 35, he's 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're both Christians, and, like, he's the first, like, a healthy relationship with male in general in my life. So okay, so... I grew up so, without a dad. 
I never had, like, before mm-hmm. Christ, I never had healthy relationships. I went from situationship to situationship. So, so I feel like it's like my inner child trying to protect myself at times. Th- that- Even though, like, yeah, that that very well could be the case because you know you have a lot of history behind painful male relationships, so there could be a lot of legitimate anxiety. But what I do want to let you know, and I want Sherry to really speak into this, and this is just a general principle: whatever you experience in dating, five exit to marriage. Meaning that, like whatever you're experiencing now, it's going to be five times amplified once you get married. Right. Okay, so I just want that as a principle. And you know, very simply, sometimes, are you guys seeing a counselor? Are you guys doing any couples counseling or pre-engagement we, work? Yeah, so we did start last week, mm. uh, last week no, towards the end of last year, because we were talking about marriage, you know, I told him, you know, I've been on and off therapy for many years, and I was like, if we're going to do this, I really want to I, I, I will like, really do the work. And we sat down with a counselor a couple, a couple times, and since I've been experiencing this, I reached out to good. the counselor again. Well, like, I, I need to sit with you by myself. <laughs> okay, good. I mean, I don't want you to, you know, you've been on and off of counseling. I don't want you to get off this time. Mm-hmm. I really want you to stay with it, no matter what, because Chris is right. There's something there. And if you feel like whenever somebody has um, tightness in their throat, it says to me that you struggle to have a voice in the relationship. And maybe when you say things, he might be thin-skinned, right? And he might take it personally, or he might make it about you, or he might feel uncomfortable. It might bring up bad feelings for him. Whatever it is, um, you need to be able to walk into that relationship owning your vocal cords, whether he is okay with them or not. Because if somebody isn't okay with your voice, if, unless you're yelling, screaming, calling them names, you know, those kind of things. But I'm not hearing that. Right. I'm, I'm talking about... No, that's not my nature. Yeah. I, I'm talking about things that are important to you. Because if not, you will lose yourself in the relationship. You'll get smaller and smaller instead of holding space for you guys and staying in the same level of dignity. That's where we started the show, was talking about dignity mm-hmm. and valuing each other um, as we're important. Cat, where, what can we send her, Becky? Maybe the book, How We Love? Yeah, I think that would be a great next step for her. And Paula, we're just, we'll be praying for this next step. I'm glad you guys are in counseling, but maybe um, there's more work to do until that voice gets clear and strong mm-hmm. and, and a healthy relationship can handle that. We're so grateful that you called, Paula. You know, it's been um, a challenge of, you know, our lifetime is to have really meaningful relationships where we can be fully present and be fully heard, but it's worth doing the work. Sherry, I know that this is a big part of what you do every day at work. Yeah. It How is. would you encourage us as we close the show? Well, I just want to share through all the highs and lows, going through infidelities and you know being single for 17 years, and there's been so many times where the idea of love and Valentine's Day has been confusing. Mm-hmm. But even though I've had spiritual faith traumas in my life, I want to share with you a couple verses. I brought this plant in today, and those of you that are watching can see it, but God did an amazing job of making a plant 
that's shaped like hearts. And so I want to leave with a word from him today. It's in um, Isaiah 49, 16. It says, Behold, I have indemnably imprinted, tattooed a picture of you on the palms of each of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Thanks so much for listening. We hope something you heard will help you live in freedom today. If this content was helpful for you, we would love it if you take a minute, leave us a review, post about it, and rate it. Remember, we have resources and workshops online for you as you continue your journey. Go to newlife.com and find out more information. And thank you for being part of the New Life community. We know that God desires all of us to live a life of wholeness and healing. And we're so glad that you're here.